You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I'm Dave Griffiths, joined by Joe Hopkins here in studio and outside of the Fox 59 studio from his Beach Grove estate. Mike Chappell joins us as well. And we will uh, preview this week's Colts matchup against the New York Jets. Some details and keys to the game. Injury reports for both teams. Uh, one of them a little bit more troublesome, I think, than the other squad going into this week. We'll get into that. Also make predictions, continuing our weekly predictions for the Colts. Um, we'll get into the NFL news as well. But, of course, I'm going to start just with my quick thoughts about last week's Colts wins over the Vikings. Since you guys do this every Monday, we get two Colts Blue Zone podcasts. Um, and so, uh, Joe Joe and Mike, uh, if you haven't downloaded uh that podcast, I'd suggest listening to it just to kind of get caught up. But uh, nevertheless, my thoughts for last week, guys, were where was this week one? Like, this is what I thought was going to happen week one from the Colts. And, and and a strong running game, to me, really led to success for both the defense and the special teams as well. If you started with that, it enabled you to control field position. That allowed Rodrigo, not Rodrigo, excuse me, Rigoberto Sanchez to have the punt that was downed in five inside the five yard line, which was a great play by Luke Rhodes, by the way. And then defense has them pushed back. You're able to get the safety. Um, you you put them under pressure immediately. Um, the, the Vikings passed more than they wanted to, obviously going into that game with their strong running game that they had. You know, they wanted to run the ball more. They didn't. They went to the pass probably too early, in my opinion. But nevertheless, they went to the pass early and then it cost them because the Colts got several interceptions. And I really think guys that the strong running game that, that I expected week one and did not see in Jacksonville led to all of that. You come in the first half and you run the ball 24 times and you pass 10 times or something ridiculous like that. I don't know if those were the exact numbers, but it, it was, it was glaring and I expected it week one. I didn't see it week one. We saw it week two. And Mike, I think we saw the results, the the fruits of what a strong running game can do in the Colts. win week two over the Vikings. Well, it, it's sometimes time of possession means nothing because it's what you do with it. But, the Colts had 38 minutes of time of possession, and it, it allows you to control and primarily keeps your defense fresh. And this is a defense that runs around and make plays. So in this, with this team in this instance, I think time of possession is not just something to toss away. Yeah, Joe, the, the run game was, was, was crucial. And as Mike said, the defense was fresh. And when this defense is fresh, they're going to be at their best. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike kind of, Mike and I kind of talked about this on Monday, how even though they didn't really hit the big one in the run game, you know, I think Jonathan Taylor's longest run was like 13 yards or something like that. Just the continuous pounding on the defense, controlling the ball, the time of possession, uh, allowing your defense to stay fresh so they can be fast when they're out there. It just it just makes a difference. It just does. And Frank Wright kind of talked about. Um, you know, after we, the week one loss, he got kind of hung up on the passing game and the explosive plays, but he understands even when the running game isn't necessarily getting those big plays, it still has positive effects that don't necessarily show up on the stats. So let's look around the NFL uh, in terms of news headlines entering this week three as the Colts will enter one and one. Um, the uh, contractually obligated COVID-19 update uh, on Tuesday, the NFL reported zero players tested positive after their week one games, which was really a big step. Mike, we've been talking all summer that like it, it's great to have like a little mini bubble, you know, and all these individual um, teams when they came back for training camp. 
But there was going to be another test when teams started traveling. Once you started getting on a plane, going to a different city, staying in a hotel for a night, driving to a stadium, then doing the whole thing back to get home again. There's just more um, more room for error in that sense. And the great news was that nobody seemed nobody seemed to uh, be affected by uh, by the pandemic after week one. So great news for the NFL. The first step, the first test has been passed. Yeah, you keep checking off the boxes. Training camp went really well. Well, you think it would because, again, you have more control. And now, like you said, you get out where there's more exposure. So, you know, knocking on and following. People hate to hit the protocol, but that's what you do. And that's the only way you're going to get to, to Tampa in February is to, like, remember when Frank and Chris Ballard told us, players are going to have to make massive sacrifices this year. That's the only way to get through the year, and, and so far, so good. In total, 7,845 players and team personnel were tested between September 13th and September 19th. And uh, per the League and Players Union, five confirmed positive cases for other personnel. So, Joe, I don't want to say this is a clean sweep for the NFL. It's a clean sweep for the players, which is great. But uh, there, there were just a couple other cases here and there, nevertheless. So, But but as as Mike just mentioned, I mean, test passed. This is this is a great yeah. sign for the league. Yeah, I think I'll think that they'll take those numbers every single week yeah. if they can get them. Yeah, no doubt. So the NFL has also fined several coaches and teams around the league, uh, the coaches for not wearing their face masks during the games. Uh, Seattle's Pete Carroll, San Francisco's Kyle Shanahan, Denver's Vic Fangio, New Orleans' Sean Payton, Las Vegas's John Gruden. All of those coaches themselves were fined quite the significant chunk of change, I think, for coaches, $100,000, and then their teams were fined $250,000 each. Um, this is, Mike, in terms of uh, fines, this is a pretty significant fine. You see players fined for personal fouls and whatever, bad penalties, uh, far far less than 100000 and teams don't get this much taken away. So this is the NFL really after the first week trying to be like, or for after uh, two weeks trying to be like, hey, uh-uh, no more of this. This is not going to stand. Well, yeah, because, again, it, the, the first week coaches did this, and, and they got a pretty severe reprimand from the league saying, no, this is what we demand. Not where we're asking. This isn't a suggestion. So the, the, these guys were fined after getting the memo from the league. So it, it's, you know, we can argue whether it's optics, you know, because I understand where people say, you know, all the players, all the coaches, all the employees have been tested. They're negative or they wouldn't be there. So why the mask? But the league's point is, well, you know, that, that maybe there's some false negatives out there. And, you know, and it, Frank Reich talked about this, that optics do matter. You've got this great stage the NFL's got. And again, this isn't a suggestion. This is this is league protocol. So that they're wanting players and co- coaches to set the right, you know, on what this is how you do it. So yeah, th- these aren't suggestions, and heaven forbid one of these coaches gets second discipline because it won't be a hundred thousand dollars. They were talking, you know, we're talking draft picks. Mm-hmm. What does it take for us to get your attention? I would hope a hundred thousand dollars would do it. I, I Joe, I, I found it uh, somewhat uh, a little. Funny is the wrong word, but it just caught my eye that, you know, Sean Payton, a guy who caught the coronavirus months and months ago, mm-hmm. like he's one of the guys who gets fined here. I mean, he probably goes into the game. He's like, whatever. I had it already. So yeah. do I really need. But but this is like like Mike said, the, the NFL is really cracking down because, as Frank Reich said, optics matter. And he wants to be able to provide some kind of an example for everyone who's watching. So this is not something the NFL is going to bend on at all. No, they're not. And, you know, uh, 
I don't think it's that hard to wear the mask. I have to wear the mask all day at work. Yeah, me so, too. Yeah, I got it here. So they should too. I, I mean, it's 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 a small ask. It really is. It's not a it's not a huge deal to wear the mask for a few according hours. To, according to you, not according to other people. Well, <laughs> sure, I guess it depends on who you ask. But uh, personally, um, it, it's just not a big deal. It's a slight hindrance. And Mike, just uh, you mentioned what Frank had to say about the mask and the optic situation. He also talked about trying multiple different masks on. This is something that like he and the coaching staff, and I'm sure other coaching staffs around the league have put some thought into, like what mask can you wear that enables you to have a be- the best form of communication possible? Yeah, he said he, he tried like 20. Now, whether that's an exaggeration or not, I don't know, but it shows you that he went through all the different variations. He probably even tried Andy Reid's shield, which <laughs> which is extreme that I don't know that I've seen any other coaches try. But, uh, no, it's just, again, it, he, he just stresses it, kind of what Joe said. It's not that difficult. You know, yes, it may, he said you have to talk maybe louder or maybe a little slower. But uh, th- th- this is going to be the way it is. And, and again, I, it's good to see that most, and again, was it Pete Carroll or somebody said, you know, this, yeah, I, I, have done, I shouldn't have been laxed at what I was doing. This is important. So I think the vast majority of coaches, if not all of them, understand this, this is the right thing to do. More news around the NFL this week. Sad news that NFL legend Gail Sayers, the Hall of Famer, passed away on Wednesday, was a first ballot Hall of, Hall of Famer as a Bears running back. And uh, before my time, before Joe's time, for sure, Mike got to see uh, Gail Sayers uh, in in his time. But uh, when you think back to Bears running backs, Mike, I mean, obviously, Walter Payton's the first one that comes up on the list. But but Gail Sayers was one of the most electric running backs of his era. And you wish that he could have had a couple more years. But every time he took the field and every time he touched the ball, he was a danger to opposing defenses in a way that very few running backs were before him or have been since him. Yeah, they're built totally different. But if you see highlights uh, of Gale Sayers, the, 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 the person that comes to your mind is Sanders. The, the change of, of, of speed, the change of direction and the quick acceleration, and it was just amazing to watch him run. It was We talked to Frank Reich again yesterday, the other day, and he said, the great players make difficult things look easy. That was Gail Sayers. You're thinking, where, where's the effort behind what he's doing? It was just ar- artistic the way he ran. And I think he was, he might have played in the fewest games or among the fewest games for a Hall of Famer over like 60, 65 games. Mm-hmm. But that shows you the impact he had when he played. Joe, he was a guy that I, I saw one crazy stat line and I wish I would have uh, saved it, but he had one stat line and somebody like posted it to Twitter saying this is one of the greatest games ever played. It was like four ru- or nine rushes for 113 yards, two touchdowns. He had a couple catches for a bunch of yards and another touchdown. He had like five punt returns for 120 yards and another t- touchdown. So like when, when he was on, he could he would almost take a defense or take a special teams unit, whatever it is. And one play, you could discourage them because you think you have them in your sights, much like, as Mike mentioned, a Barry Sanders type guy. If a couple times when you think you have him and you just get air, when you go to tackle a guy that can immediately discourage a defense. And for the rest of the game, they're trying to play catch up mentally with this guy as well as physically. Yeah. And I remember, you know, a few years ago when the bears had Devin Hester, it completely changed. You know, those games were just different because 
if you gave him enough chances during a game, he was going to score a touchdown. And and Sayers was like Hester plus a Barry Sanders that you could also get that same kind of production, you know, from scrimmage on offense. So, um, you know, I, I've just watched him and watched highlights of him. And he, he, Mike said it best when you said he the artistic the way mm-hmm. he runs the ball. Our, our best wishes certainly to to Sayers family, his friends, and the Chicago Bears as well. Uh, dealing with uh, the legend Gail Sayers passing away on Wednesday. Um, also, a rather unique situation in terms of uh, something that I've never seen before in the NFL. But uh, Chargers quarterbacks were it was right before the game against the Chiefs this last Sunday. It was announced Justin Herbert's going to be the starting quarterback, and Tyrod Taylor's out. So immediately it's like whoa. What just happened? So, uh, th- first of all, this rookie comes in, has a heck of a game against the defending champs, forces Almost them to overtime. Him, yeah. Sh- probably should have beat them at the end of the day. But Harrison, uh, Harrison, uh, what's his last name? Uh, their kicker, Bucker. Oh, um, Bucker. Yeah. yeah, yeah he, he he had a couple like fifty-yard field goals forced to overtime, and then the Chiefs. Yeah, fifty-eight-yard field goals. Woo! And the Chiefs won it overtime. But anyway, the the unique side of this story is it came out this week. I think it was Adam Schefter had it first. Uh, that Taylor had to miss Sunday's game after a team doctor trying to administer a pain-killing injection to uh, to Taylor's cracked ribs accidentally punctured his lung instead. Yeah, so you stick, Mike, (laughs) this huge needle into somebody's back to try to get it into your cracked rib area to, to alleviate the pain, and you accidentally puncture a lung instead. Oh, my, ouch. For the love, have you ever seen anything like this in your uh, in your tenure of covering the NFL? The only thing that in my mind, and this has been several years ago, Jerome Bettis with the Steelers was having a groin injury, and they were trying to play through the groin and all this stuff, and they were giving him an, an injection for something. I, I, I think a groin's a groin, mm-hmm. but they somehow hit a nerve, and, and they did nerve damage. Which I know you just want to shudder. I mean, just even think you about know, it. Anyone who injects yeah. my groin. Yeah, ow. <laughs> a couple of games from that. So yeah, just uh, I've never liked needles. I, I had to go and get some lab work done the other day, and and I told the the girl doing the doing the blood draw that the one thing I hate is when they say oh darn or or missed it <laughs> with the vein. I'm thinking did yeah, just find the blasted vein, but but this, this is really. I mean, who knows how many games this guy is going to miss now? So th- th- this is really difficult situation, and it's a team doctor for crying out loud. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, the coach has come out and said, no, it's still Tyrod's starting job because that's a terrible way to lose your starting job. But if Herbert keeps playing well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily. They picked him fifth overall for a reason. Right. Tyrod was always going to be temporary, so it would just. Poor Tyrod losing the starting opportunity because he was punctured by his own team doctor. That would be crazy if if that's what it came came, came down to. Absolutely, well, it was. It's already crazy, but that that would just make <laughs> it crazier. Uh, speaking of injuries, on the uh, Colts injury report this week, as the squad prepares to host the Jets on Sunday, a four o five kickoff, so a late afternoon game for the first time this season, broadcast locally here in Central Indiana on CBS Four. Um, several Colts missed practice on Wednesday this week. Jack Doyle did not practice with a, his knee injury. Uh, Doyle missed last weekend's game against the Vikings as well. Uh, Rock Yassine did not practice with his uh, mysterious excuse me, stomach illness. He was ruled out 
of the Colts Vikings game as well on early Sunday morning, all of a sudden, like Mike, I don't know about you, but you know, the Colts always tweet out their inactives, you know, and it's 90 minutes before the game. We always get it. It's like clockwork, 1130 AM boom before the one o'clock game. We, we see who the Colts inactives are, but then the Colts inactives didn't come out exactly at the same time this week. So I think there was a, there was a little bit of scramble mode. Uh, trying to see if Rock was going to play or he was not going to play or who would jump in instead of Rock on the inactives list because like 10 or 12 minutes after that time, we finally got the tweet out and everybody sees Rock is seen on there like, oh my goodness. But um, it's it's still a mysterious situation because all we know is stomach illness right now and he had to be taken to a local hospital on Sunday and just hasn't been able to practice yet. Yeah, and we've asked Frank about it. It's clear that he's not going to give out any more than he have, has to. I understand HIPAA and privacy, but NFL deals with that all, all the time because of, with the injury reports. But uh, yeah, it's just, and he wasn't at practice again today. Jack Doyle was at practice. We'll see where that goes. But yeah, it's, it, it, the problem is with the lack of, whenever there's a lack of information, your mind kind of goes to the worst possible situation, which it shouldn't, but that's the way you do it. That's just so like, yeah. Hopefully it's nothing serious. Uh, but it's serious enough to keep him from the game and to keep him off the practice field the last two days. And we'll see where this thing goes in a week or so. Linebacker Matthew Adams also did not practice on Wednesday, has an ankle injury. And Frank Rank said earlier this week that Adams is probably going to miss a couple of games with this ankle injury that he sustained against the Vikings. So look for guys like my guy, Zaire Franklin out of Syracuse University, and perhaps Jordan Glasgow, the rookie out of Michigan as well, to see a few more. Or also, uh, who was it? Um, EJ Speed, Joe's guy, was, uh, I think, an inactive last week. So maybe he's uh, he's probably likely going to be not an inactive with, uh, with Adams on the sideline for the time being. And also Julian Blackman, the safety, a limited participant in practice on Wednesday. And Joe, we're going to see a lot more of Julian because now Malik Hooker is done for the season with his Achilles injury. Oh, yeah. And hopefully this is just, you know, maintenance. He's still working his way back from that knee injury. Um, I, I thought, he, you know, Mike kind of talked about how great he looked on Sunday, and I hope it continues. I mean, that was his first game. He kind of was thrown in there with Malik Hooker's injury, and he looked great. So can't wait to see what he does against the Jets. Yeah, here, here's the deal. And, and Mike, you can chime in uh, with, with your thoughts. But to me, he certainly flashed on a couple plays. He made a couple really nice plays, either a deflection that led to an interception, a good tackle, good-looking play. The, the difference that you get with a young kid with talent and maybe Malik Hooker um, who, who, I mean, he's also a young kid with talent to be, to be perfectly fair, but a rookie, as opposed to Malik Hooker, you expect the veteran guy to have a little bit more consistency Blackman. You could see some flash plays. I think like we saw this last Sunday, but again, Mike, it's probably going to be more of the inconsistent variety. You might see him chasing down somebody on a longer pass play that you shouldn't see because, because he's a rookie and, and he's just not quite up to speed just yet. I would expect to see more out of Julian Blackman, more plays like we saw this last weekend, some really nice plays, the plays that makes him stand out as a third-round pick or perhaps even would have been a second-round pick if he was healthy. But don't be surprised if there's a couple more on the bad side that we didn't see against the Vikings uh, this past week. He hasn't practiced, had a full practice yet. Right, yeah. And the fact that he's limited, they're still sort of, I don't say easy to mean, but but they're limiting how much he gets on the practice field. So yeah, this w w he's just scratching the surface. And, and with rookies, like you said, you're gonna they're gonna make mistakes. And this is a rookie that's had no OTAs, limited training camp, and now he's sort of thrust into a higher role because of Millie Cooker. So I think he, you're right. His, his needle's gonna be up and down. It, it, it just is. 
you just hope that the, the really good plays cancel out the bad plays and the bad plays aren't really bad plays. Yeah, I, I really do wonder, Joe, just how the Colts defensive staff is going to work this situation with Hooker out. Like how much does Kari Willis shift over to that role and maybe you move into George Odom instead, you know, just so you limit the amount of time the Blackman is on the field. But be, because of Hooker's injury, I don't I don't think you can do that for too long now. I, you really need to get Blackman in there as the guy who is the more talented safety and see what he can do sooner rather than later. And you don't want to underestimate any opponent, but now's the time to get him that playing time against a team like the Jets, where if he so. makes a mistake, you can hopefully recover for it. So by the time later in the season, you're playing a little bit better team. He's, you know, has a little bit more experience under his belt. I would assume that Willis is going to play almost every snap. I mean, mm-hmm. by the end of last year, he was pretty much doing that anyway as the rookie. And then I think they're going to mix in George Odom and kind of let Odom and Blackman kind of share the snaps at that other safety spot. We'll keep you updated on injuries throughout the week. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. Also submit your questions to us there. We'd be happy to answer them for you on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. As for the Jets injury report, it is slightly longer than the Colts right now. Boy, and, and we've seen this in the past from the Colts just after a couple weeks, Mike, of like it seems like half the team is injured. But that that that's what it is for the Jets this week. It starts with their running back, Le'Veon Bell, on injured reserve. And uh, who else? But as Joe writes here in our rundown, the immortal Frank Gore <laughs> taking his place. So a, a familiar uh, face on the uh, opposite in the opposite huddle that uh, certainly still commands plenty of respect from teams across the league just because he, he, he may be a 37 year old running back, but uh, he'll still run over you if he's given the opportunity. He, and, and again, looking ahead, you know happens. He's to me the one kind of back that should not hurt this defense. You think he's not going to get loose and go crazy. He's he's like that depth death by a thousand paper cuts because he's going to get three, four, just work on you. But look at the the injury report. I've got 12 guys did not practice or was limited yesterday by the Jets. That's about how many former Colts are on that roster. It's incredible, both the length of the injury report and the former Colts on his team. Ridiculous. Yeah, let, let's let's break a couple more of them down. Linebacker C.J. Mosley, he was the uh, linebacker with the Ravens a couple years ago that took the uh, the Pro Bowl spot away from Darius Leonard his uh, his rookie year. So that that always comes to my mind whenever I see C.J. Mosley's name. He's on IR. Uh, their second round wide receiver Denzel Mims. We talked about him a little bit more back in the spring when we were thinking about Colts potential second round picks. The young kid out of Baylor, I believe, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, is on injured reserve. Uh, their top wide receiver, Jamison Crowder, did not practice on Wednesday with a hamstring injury. He did not play last week in the loss to the 49ers. He did gain more than 100 yards in week one, though. So when he's on the field, he does have a pretty good rapport with uh, quarterback Sam Darnold. But wide receiver Brashawn Perryman did not practice with an ankle. Joe, when you have a young quarterback, the, the worst you can do is throw all these different wide receivers at him. Like You want to build some consistency. You want to build some trust among different different guys. And Crowder in particular was a guy that I think they really connected last year. But without Crowder, without Mims, without Perriman, I mean, they're just going down the list. And it's going to be it's going to be a tall order to ask their passing game to do a whole lot against the Colts defense, I think, this Sunday. Yeah, I think their starting receivers are like Braxton Berrios and Chris Hogan. Who? Um, Not to be confused with our own Chris Hagan here. At <laughs> right. yeah. Just a little taller. Um, no, I think Hogan now has played for every team in the AFC East. I know he's with the Bills, the Patriots. Um, he might've been with the dolphins too, but yeah, like you said, there's just not a lot around this young quarterback who flashes talent. I mean, 
the play that went viral where he's kind of avoids a sack, rolling to his left, throws across his body, and I think it was Barrios who caught the touchdown mm-hmm. against 49ers last week. Uh, he looked amazing, and everyone was like, well, if Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson did this, it would be all over ESPN. And it's like, well, they're probably winning their games too, right. and it's yeah. not during garbage time. But, right. you know, he, he's got a lot of talent, but just not a lot to work with in the offense. Also, his center, uh, Connor McGovern, did not practice with a hamstring on Wednesday. There's reports out in New York that he's week-to-week, and head coach Adam Gase said that they'd likely turn to former Colt Josh Andrews if he's needed. Another former Colt, Quincy Wilson, has a concussion. We all know how those go. I mean, you need to have limited practice on Thursday today. You need to be back to full practice on Friday and not have any symptoms afterwards. So we'll have to pay attention to Quincy, see if uh, he does progress through protocol and is able to make it back for a game on Sunday. Defensive tackle Steve McClendon did not practice on Wednesday. That was non-injury related, though. A couple limited participants, their left tackle, Makai Becton, the rookie, First round pick, shoulder injury, safety, Ashton Davis, groin injury. Again, ouch, those groin injuries. We don't, we don't like to talk about them too much. <laughs> but um, now another reference that, that Mike made is just the, uh, the plethora, the cornucopia of former Colts that are now on the Jets roster. And perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised as the assistant general manager Rex Hogan to the Jets was on Chris Ballard's staff here in Indian from 2017 to 2018. But... Out of the players we mentioned, we mentioned so far Frank Gore, Quincy Wilson, and Josh Andrews. But after that, you also have uh, cornerback Pierre Desir, cornerback Nate Harrison, defensive lineman Henry Anderson, linebacker Terrell Basham, safety Matthias Farley, long snapper Thomas Hennessy, wide receiver Dante Moncrief, who's on injured reserve as well, tight end Ross Travis, who's on the practice squad. I mean, it, it's it's a litany of players, Mike, that uh, were... Uh, were cut loose from the Colts and now are trying to uh, make their continue their way in the NFL. And the Jets certainly picked up a whole heck of a lot of them. It's funny. Back when we used to have conference all the time on Wednesdays, sometimes you'd have that player who was with your team. And, and, and now, I mean, can you imagine the conference call? If you want to have all guys, can you imagine the link to the video tribute? Jim yeah. Irsay wanted to have a second clip with each guy <laughs> on, on Sunday. So uh, it's just strange, but fact you got Rex Hogan there. It's sort of it's understandable to a degree, but not a, a dozen players. Holy smokes. Yeah, Joe, this is this is really unique. And we, we talked with Frank Reich about it this week, saying that he's he's never seen anything like this. Maybe you'd have two players that used to be on your team on the other team you're playing. And uh, he, he said, we'll do something like, quote, just enough or to uh, to keep them off balance when it comes to play calls and stuff. But it, it doesn't mean that you're going to completely change what you do just because there's some guys on the other team who, who've been inside your building before. Yeah, I think the Jets might be a little obsessed with us or something. I mean, it, it's almost like that, you know, those movies with the obsessive like roommate who like stalks the other roommate or something like that. It's strange. And I will say as a Colts fan, I don't think we really miss any of these players. I mean, Hendry Anderson was a solid player. Frank Gore gave Indianapolis some good years, but other than that, I don't, you know, I don't think we really miss too many yeah, of these guys. You, you look at this list and I think Henry Anderson did give them some really good, really good play when he was a rookie second year guy. Um, I think when they changed the defensive scheme, it was that was what Ballard kind of pointed to to say Henry Anderson was, was out the door or else he probably would have stayed. Um, Pierre Desir obviously had a really good year and earned a really good contract. But then after his injury, the second year was, was that his time was done. So you respect a couple of these guys, but um, but obviously uh, not if, if they're not good enough to be on the Colts roster anymore, then 
you would think, Mike, that all these guys who are the, the Colts leftovers that make the Jets roster, you look at that and you immediately have to say, well, then either the Jets are just incredibly much, so that much smarter than the Colts or the Colts have just better personnel right now than the Jets do. If you look at that list, the only player that I would say, boy, to be him back would probably be Matthias Farley. And that's because he's a safety. And right now you're thin at safety. Other than that, without disrespecting these guys, who? I mean, Henry Anderson really wouldn't fit in here right now. And the corners were let go for a reason. Uh, Pierre Desir, I'd still would love to have a nice sit down to figure out what went on with that quick release. Other than that, I'm not sure how many of these players you'd want back. You'd want Dante Moncrief back to celebrate a a four-yard catch on third and eight. Uh, Play the guitar. Exactly. So (laughs) you could always have that going on for you. But nevertheless, I I say that and and then immediately move on. Uh, Colts and Jets game preview now. About 7,500 fans will be allowed inside Lucas Oil Stadium as the Horseshoes host New York. And uh, as Joe wrote here, the Jets might, in fact, be the worst team in the NFL as Indianapolis comes in, according to BetMGM, double-digit favorites, 10.5 points. And, again, that's a whole lot of points, man. My goodness. Uh, but if the Jets were to lose by 10 points or more on Sunday, it, it wouldn't exactly be an uncommon occurrence as head coach Adam Gase would then have as many double-digit score losses as he does career wins. That would be his 30th double-digit loss if, in fact, it happens and he has 30 career wins i saw today that the jets fans organized a protest outside the team facility to fire adam gase seriously yeah Jeez. my goodness i mean what's that mike two weeks into the season and you've already got a uh a a bandwagon going to get your coach running and there are reasons for it he's supposed to be this uh this offensive savant he, he worked with Peyton Manning in Denver, right? That That's where he came from, I believe. And he's still got a job from that. Right, exactly. <laughs> but the Jets' offense is, is not exactly Manning-esque right now. They are dead last in the NFL in total offense, 265.5 yards per game. Second to last in points, 15 per game. Second to last in rush yards, only 156 through two games. So they're averaging like 76, 70, what is the word? 78. 78. Yeah, I can do math. They're third to last in passing yards a total of 375 in two games. That'd be good for one game, Joe, but, but, but for two games that that's not quite so hot on defense, the gents racked 24th in points allowed. They're in the bottom half in yards allowed. They're tied for fifth most sacks though. They are getting after the quarterback a bit. They have three takeaways on the year. I mean, just looking at the stats, you don't want to get completely lost in the stats, but at the same time, it, they certainly tell a story, and we know that the Jets are, are not one of the better teams in the NFL. They're a team that if you're the Colts, you fully expect to come in and control your own destiny on Sunday. Absolutely. I mean, the offense is pretty pitiful. I mean, we mentioned Sam Darnold has talent. Their left tackle, Mekhi Bacton, has actually played well um, through his first two games. But other than that, there's just not a lot there. The decent players that they do have are injured. Um, I guess their tight end Chris Herndon is talented if you're looking for something, but he has very, you know, not proven at all. The defense is okay. I mean, maybe a slightly below average group. It's not it's not the worst defense no. in the league by any means. Um, so it's not like the Colts will fall into 30 points. Um, but this is certainly a game. I mean, we saw the spread. This is certainly the game that the Colts should win. Yeah. Mike, when when you look at games like this, I mean, it's early in the season, so it's it you hesitate to make 
um, strong conclusions about a team after just two games. I think probably four games is a better judge to tell how good teams are, how not good teams are. You know, you get through a quarter of a season, you have a little bit more of a uh, diverse group of teams that you've played against. But uh, from what we can tell of the Jets through two games, they're, they're certainly not a team that is one of the scarier offenses or defenses in the league uh, as the Colts prepare to face them this weekend. And, that, and that's why you want to see how you come from, from beating a pretty, what should be a good Minnesota team. You find out in two months that the Vikings are awful. We, I don't know. But this is one where, you, again, we can get to the keys of the game, but you just don't do anything to help them. Jonathan Taylor putting a ball on the ground, tip pass for interceptions. You know, special teams mess up. Go out there, take care of it, run the ball however many times, and get out of town, stay in town, but 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 get the job done. And like you said, you didn't, didn't move on. Don't get cute. Don't try to do things crazy. These are take care of business and move on because you don't want to be looking back in December and say, how in the heck did we lose that game? I don't, not quite Jacksonville, but almost Jacksonville. You can't, you can't have too many stumbles against inferior teams. You just can't do it. So, Mike, you're saying you don't want to see any Jacoby Brissett trick plays? No, not <laughs> – that that's where I miss the preseason. If we want to work on that Brissett package, run him out there in week three and just knock yourself crazy. No, I whatever the over under is, I'm taking the under and I hope it's good to go. So as Mike said, keys to the game: number one, don't get cute, run the ball. And the Jets have allowed 140 rush yards per game throughout the first two weeks. They're averaging uh, allowing 4.6 yards per carry. So, Joe, I'd imagine we see Jonathan Taylor early and often on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, the same game plan against Minnesota sounds good against the Jets. You to would me. think again, like I, I, I keep <laughs> yeah. going back to, I thought this was going to happen against Jacksonville, but it, it comes back to Frank Reich again being disciplined and sticking with the run game. And I will say, two weeks in now, that Jacksonville loss doesn't look quite as bad. They give gave a uh, Tennessee a fit. I mean, mm-hmm. they almost came back and beat Tennessee. So Jacksonville might not be quite as bad as we thought they were entering the season, but they still should have won that game and they still need to stick to the running game. And, and if it's not Jonathan Taylor, Mike, uh, I, I don't know where Naheem Hines went in week two, but he was certainly not used nearly as much as he was in week one. We did not see the quite the same level of finding the running back out of the backfield from Phillip rivers. Uh, but, uh, you have Hines. There as an op- option as well. Jordan Wilkins came on really well in the late, late fourth quarter and really helped ice the game for the Colts favor by just continually moving the change and letting the clock run. So uh, if it's not Taylor, you have those other two options, uh, uh alongside of him. So we just lost Mike chapel in beach Grove. Hopefully, uh, the, uh, the location is, all square away down there, but nevertheless, uh, probably some uh, kids doing some e-learning down in Beach Grove, stealing all of Mike's uh, bandwidth. But uh, we'll be sure to get Mike uh, get back with Mike next week, and uh, we'll have his prediction for the Colts Jets game coming up. But uh, Joe, just to get back to our discussion, we were talking Colts running backs and talking Jonathan Taylor specifically. And um, if you look past Taylor, I don't know where Naheem Hines was in the in the running game 
in week two because he was everywhere in week one, whether it was running the ball or catching it out of the backfield. Uh, also, you have Jordan Wilkins behind Taylor as well. I mean, he came on strong in the fourth quarter and uh, really helped ice the game away for the Colts against the Vikings. But uh, if it's not Taylor, those are going to be your next two options. And uh, I mean, based on the first two weeks, it's hard for me to predict what's going to happen behind Taylor in the running game just because it hasn't been consistent yet. And, uh, you know, that's probably by design. Frank, it doesn't right? need to be. Yeah, it might yeah. not need to be. Making it kind of hard for defenses to predict what they're going to get. And with Paris Campbell out, we haven't mentioned him quite yet today. You know, Naheem Hines might see a little more snaps from the slot or running routes as a receiver. Uh, maybe they could get him involved that way. Another fast playmaker out there with Paris Campbell gone. But really, you know, they just need to pound the ball and get through this game and get on to the next one. I would love to see Naheem Hines take over that Paris Campbell role a little bit more because, I mean, I, I did a story this week on Fox 59 and CBS 4 that was talking a little bit about Paris Campbell leaving and just saying that there is no one in the Colts receiving core that has the same skill set as Paris Campbell does. I mean, I, I think after just two years, we don't know exactly what he can do. But I can tell you for sure that I know that nobody else can do exactly what he can do at his best. So you're going to need to either work some different guys around into his various things that you wanted him to do, or you're going to have to scrap a little bit of the offense altogether. So uh, like I said, I would love to see if Naheem Hines can be that guy. Um, second key to the game after run the ball is don't let Sam Darnold get in a rhythm. Disrupt him early. He, he's a young quarterback that can be prone to good streaks and bad streaks in his game. So, I mean, he has nearly 400 pass yards in his two games, only 62% or 63% completion percentage. You'd hope for a little bit more if you were them. And Joe, he's always going to be the guy that's that's tied to the Colts in the Quentin Nelson trade because the Jets traded up to uh, to the Colts spot. The Colts traded back with the Jets and were able to bring in a haul of picks and Quentin Nelson was the headliner of that deal. Whenever the Colts fans think Sam Darnold, you got to think, I'm sure glad we have Quentin Nelson. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think the Jets were stoked at the time to get Darnold. I think they certainly haven't moved on from him yet either, though, for sure. But they were stoked completely. Like both teams loved the trade at the time. And they they both are certainly on the same page with it, I think, now still. And I I would say at least for now, both teams kind of won. I mean, Darnold has not fallen on his face. I think he, given what's around him, you you take Darnold and put him on the Browns. I think he would have done more with it than Baker has done to this point um so i think darnold's a talented quarterback they just need to build up the team around him and get a little continuity with his weapons and the frustrating part is you try to build around him you have jameson crowder you bring in uh Perriman, you have uh, denzel mims and, and then all three of your top receivers are are, are out yeah. you mentioned chris herndon and i think he's a more than capable tight end in the nfl he's more along the lines of the trey burton you know the wide receiver type i don't know i don't know how great of a blocker he is but i know he can really catch the ball well out of the backfield i know he caught a touch down against the Colts a couple years ago um, so nevertheless you, you, if you want your young quarterback to have as much success as possible you want some consistency around him and the Jets for, for, for their point of view or for just the the unfortunate circumstances of injuries have not been able to do that with him so try, try to get to him try to sack him try to get him to have happy feet back there in the pocket and the Colts have had seven sacks this year. That's tied for the third most in the NFL, only through two weeks. But nevertheless, you are getting after that quarterback probably better than I thought they would, honestly, after uh, you lose uh, Kamoko Ture before the season uh, for, for a while. So, um, And that so, Jets offensive line is not good. No, exactly. They, yep. they can take advantage of that offensive line. I mean, Becton uh, looks great so far, but yeah. he's still a rookie. I think Justin Houston can definitely get the better of him uh, on a few plays on Sunday. It, it, this game is just one of those games where it almost feels like 
a trap game because the Colts are so heavily mm-hmm. favored. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Colts are going to be the team that they want to be this year, they need to go in, dominate, and move on. Now, here's the deal. like you know, We say those type of things here on, on the podcast, and anybody in the media will say the same things. But, I mean, if, if anybody in the locker room is thinking that way, then you're going to lose because these guys are all paid to, to play the game, too. So, I mean, it's a different perspective, the player's perspective, than the media perspective. It absolutely is. And, and, but, uh, but that doesn't mean either, either side is wrong. You sure. know what I mean? So I think both sides are still right. That, that's my, that's my five-second explanation of something that we could go into for 30 minutes. But I don't think the, uh, the fans out there would really want to hear that. That's more me just talking about my profession so, uh, and, and the, uh, the philosophy behind it. But nevertheless, we'll get to, uh, to another uh, prediction, or not prediction, rather, a key to the game. And hey, let's get T.Y. Hilton going, Joe. Uh, he's caught just seven of his 14 targets this year for only 81 yards. And um, he was very, very close to uh, a touchdown last week that he dropped, said that he looked up and got blinded a little bit by the sun over Lucas Oil Stadium. So you don't see that sun all too often at Lucas Oil, but uh, that was in the wrong place at the wrong time if T.Y. wanted to catch that long touchdown pass against the Vikings last week. Yeah, and I almost feel like if he catches that touchdown, we're having a different conversation right now. I think so too, yeah. We feel a lot better about T.Y. We go, okay, that's what we expected, him to hit those big plays over the top and be that guy for the Colts. And even though he didn't catch it, it still probably had a positive effect in terms of the defense knows they have to defend that, mm-hmm. and we got away with one there. Um, but let's try and get T.Y. in a rhythm with Phillip Rivers. If they can establish that chemistry, um, and they're going to have to with Paris Campbell out, it almost looked like at the beginning of the year, Paris Campbell might end up with more yards than T.Y. Hilton. Obviously, that's not the case anymore. T.Y. is going to have to step up and be that number one guy he has been throughout his career. And the Jets have allowed a uh, third most in the NFL, 75% completion percentage. So you'd expect not too many passes from Phillip Rivers to hit the ground this weekend uh, when the Colts host the Jets at Lucas Oil Stadium. So um, whether it's Hilton or anybody else um, or... Uh, I, 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 Mo I think Cox. Mo Alley Cox again. Yeah, <laughs> Mo Alley Cox, the uh, the downfield threat, 18 yards per catch this year. Mo Alley Cox. That, that's what everyone predicted that he'd be leading you in, uh, in yards per I reception. joked on Monday. I was like, Dave picked the wrong Colts tight end for the Pro Bowl. Seriously, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Where, where was I at the beginning of the year with Mo Alley? I should have been on board. But nevertheless, uh, what else are we watching out for this weekend? Um, Let's see. Looking at the defense, I am looking for Julian Blackman. I'm just going to see what happens. We've we've touched on it already in the secondary, but um, what's going to happen with is Rocky Seen going to play, and specifically, how much are we going to see Julian Blackman? Does he does he really step in to be kind of the main guy alongside Kari Willis, or is it something where the Colts coaching staff is still going to try to work him in slowly? and bring in a guy like George Oden to play alongside Kari Willis instead. That That's one of the first things I'll be looking out for, because Blackman really did impress me last week in, in the limited time that he has, so I, I want to see more of him. And as I've said on the podcast many times before, I love seeing great safety play, and so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if he can if he can match the expectations that he set in week one, or week two, I guess, technically. And, I mean, this is far, far sooner than we ever expected to see anything out of Blackman. Yep. We were talking about, well, we'll probably well, Maybe October. Maybe October, maybe more likely November. It's September, and he's out there, and he's probably going to get the start. So I think the Colts have to be thrilled um, with their third-round pick, who at the time a lot of people were like, who? Mm -hmm. Just because he was injured, he didn't get a lot of attention. But uh, this is why Chris Ballard um, gets the notoriety that he does. So now we look to what we're expecting as the Colts host the Jets on Sunday. As I've mentioned, it is a 4.05 kickoff. 
in Indianapolis, broadcast locally on CBS4 in central Indiana. Our game predictions. We have one for Mike already because we uh, we lost his feed. But, uh, Joe, what's Mike think about this weekend? Mike's going 30-10 to 10 Colts. Um, and, I mean, that's what you hope for as a Colts totally, fan against yeah. this team. I'm not quite sure. As far as me, I think I'm going to go 26. 20- Seven to seventeen. I don't know. This this is the exact kind of game that makes me nervous. It feels like a <laughs> trap game. Um, it feels like a game. It almost feels like the Jaguars again. A game we expect to go in and dominate, and then we're going. Who the hell are these guys? You know, Darnold goes out and ninety five percent completion percentage or something like that. Um, so I'm going to go 27 to 17 Colts, but I think uh, the Jets will get some good plays in there. Once bitten, twice shy, uh, Joe Hopkins over here, and that's 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 the NFL for you, and that could certainly happen. I I'm certainly on the Colts side again. They they have even in the second game here, like you, you didn't prove if you're the Colts that that you can close consistently in the red zone. You you, you have some things in your red zone offense that are that are troubling. Um, it's great that uh, Hot Rod came in and hit all his field goals, hit all his extra points. So a, a great showing from him, your boy, my boy, to be out there and having really what was really amounted to what could have been a an AFC Special Teams Player of the Week type of performance. But you have a guy like Harrison Butker who goes out and kicks fifty eight yard field goals and forces overtime, and he's he has quite the game too. I don't even know if he won the Special Teams Player of the Week, but he should. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's why it came to my mind initially. But like, if you go four for four field goals and two for two extra points, I mean, that's a pretty darn good week. Well, and that's the kind of game you know, not to dog on him, but last year that's the kind of game if if our kicker misses half of those that the Vikings could still be in the game. Yep. But the the fact that he hit all of them. Just kind of put it away, and you hope to see more of those turn into touchdowns instead of interceptions, but uh, good on the undrafted rookie. Not to dog on him. We know exactly what you're doing over <laughs> there. My, my prediction, I have to give a prediction. I, I have the Colts coming out on top for sure against the Jets. If the Jets win this game, then that's that's really troubling. If you have losses to the Jets and the Jaguars in the first three weeks of the season, regardless of what else the Jaguars are able to do, even though they look Fairly impressive against the Titans the previous week. I, I'm going to go Colts. I, like I said, I still think there's some trouble in the red zone right now, but I, I think something uh, along the lines of 24 to six um, because I, I think I don't I don't like anything about the Jets' offense <laughs> right now. I really don't. It, it's no. hard for me to to give them double digits right now. Um, so hey, I, I mean, I say ten and a half points in the bet MGM line there is pretty big, but uh, I, I really think the Colts have a great opportunity to to run it up a bit this weekend. Yeah, looking for positives on the Jets. There's not a lot. You get their uniforms look kind of nice. Do, yeah, their like new that. uniforms, yeah. other than but their players, though, there's not a whole lot to be happy about yeah. if you're so, Jets. So fan. we'll go twenty four to six for me. Uh, our, our week two predictions. Mike was technically the closest. Uh, he had a 27 to 22 final. So you add one point to the Colts and you divide the Vikings by two. None of us anticipated that the Vikings offense would be quite as quiet as it was. And which is, again, another reason why I like the Colts defense this weekend, Joe, is in week one, the Vikings scored like 34 points in 18 minutes of time of possession. That's it. Like they moved the ball really well when they had it against the Packers. They just didn't have it all that often. In week two, they only scored 11 points, and the Colts' defense was able to really keep them in their half of the field quite a bit. They took the ball away very nicely. They got the safety as well. 
Um, so you look at that, and that opens your eyes immediately, saying, whoa. And then when the Jaguars go and they perform reasonably well against the Titans, you're like, oh, maybe it's not so bad that the Colts uh, allowed that many points to the Jaguars on the road in week one in a place where they have had dreadful success over previous years. I'm not assigning the Jaguars to playoff contenders by any means right now. I'm just saying it's not quite as bad as it looked after week one in the defense. So if if the Colts defense plays remotely like I think it did in week two, then they should be good to go in week three when the Jets come to town. That That's the way I see it. Yeah, yeah, I got to agree with that. I mean, the Jaguars look like a team to be reckoned with this year, not saying they're going to hit the playoffs or anything, but they, they almost seem like an 8-8 eight and eight type ball club. Um, so I don't think they're the pushovers that uh, a lot of the league thought they were. And that defense, I, I don't see how they don't get another three to four sacks against that offensive line. You would anticipate so, for sure. And that's, like we said, that was one of our keys. Get, gets, get pressure on Darnold on defense. Get Jonathan Taylor out there on offense. And then uh, cruise into a victory around 7 o'clock on Saturday afternoon we do thank you for listening to the colts blue zone podcast you can join us on thursdays every week as we preview the coming matchup for the horseshoes in the nfl if you have questions that you'd like us to answer you can submit those on twitter that's at colts blue zone also you could really help us out by leaving us a review and a comment on itunes and also download and subscribe get this delivered to your podcast listening device every week when we drop it so once again, this has been the Colts Blue Zone podcast, and we will see you next week to recap the Colts, Jet, uh, Colts Jets and look forward to Bears week four. Have a good week. 